Welcome to Awakening Divine Wildness, hosted by inspirational speaker and best-selling author, Mal Duane. Mal invites you to embrace your divine wildness with powerful conversations with visionary women. Listen in and learn how to move from pain and heartache to forgiveness and freedom so you can live the life you deserve. Welcome to Awakened Divine Wildness. And this is Mal Duane, and I am so excited today to share this conversation with a woman who I have just the greatest admiration for and was intrigued the very first time I met her at a National Speakers Association meeting. Maybe because I didn't know very much about her topic. And um, I don't think many of us do, and that's why I've invited Grace Ann Stevens to be my guest today, because I think she's going to educate all of us on a topic that is so important that's becoming more prevalent and will help us all understand better what we need to know and how to take the next steps. Grace Stevens has spent over 60 years hiding in the corners and the margins of her own mind and body until 2011, when her authentic spirit chose to come out of hiding and live freely and openly in the world. The power of IFS, which is Family Systems, was an important force in helping her take this journey. Grace has spent over 40 years in the tech world as an engineer and an engineering manager. She returned to school at the age of 58 and received her master's in counseling at the age of 62 in 2009 and transitioned gender at the age of 64 in 2011. Since then, she has become a speaker on authenticity, relationships, diversity, gender variance, and has written two books, blogs weekly on the Huffington Post, and this past July has been selected as an Amtrak residency writer and will be circling the country next spring, blogging on the Amtrak website. In addition, she has been nominated as a Person of the Year with New England Pride. Grace, I'm so honored to spend this time with you. Thank, Thank you, you so much for inviting me, Mal. I look it, forward to chatting with you. I'd love to read a little quote that I took from your book, um, which is called, No, Maybe, Yes, Living My Truth. It's hard to live authentically when you're trying to meet the expectations of everyone around you and denying the inner voices that know your truth. And I think that's something that every woman can understand because we're all guilty of it. We deny ourselves, our truth, our voice to fit in, to be accepted, um, and You've had that struggle probably in a deeper way than any one of us could ever imagine. So I want you to just share with us your transition. Sure. I'd be happy to. 
Um, one thing, though, um, what's really very interesting, what I discovered uh, upon my transition, and the only reason that I really wrote a book was that my transition inspired my children to live their truth. And it has nothing to do with being a man, a woman, transgender, cisgender. And what I learned is that almost everyone, it's almost a human condition that we hold ourselves back from being true to ourselves because we struggle with being connected. And we're so afraid of being abandoned. If people really knew me, if you really knew me, what would you do? And how we get this fear, how this gets programmed into us is something that I don't fully understand, but I recognize it in every culture, in every family, in everyone that I meet is, is I am so afraid that if you really knew what was in the innermost corners of my mind, you would reject me, you would abandon me, you would leave me. Now for me, um, I never felt right as a boy. At the earliest ages of five, six, seven, eight, it seemed like something wasn't right. How I appeared in the world wasn't matching what the girls were doing or, you know, just how I felt about myself. And I could not even begin to share that with anyone. Somehow I knew back in the 50s, you don't talk about this. It's not something that's for public consumption. How painful was that as a child to feel this disconnect that something wasn't right? Um, that you're in this body and, and emotionally, mentally, things just aren't all coming together for you. You know, I never used the word painful. I've used the word confusing. Oh, okay. It was totally, totally confusing. Um, I look at it as I was confused. I couldn't tell anybody about it because there was enough fear in me that said, um, you'll be a sissy. You'll be, you're not a boy, you know, and that would have fear of not belonging and not, not just, you know, then there's shame on top of it that that buries into me uh, and to many people. So you hide. When I talk about hiding in the corners of my mind, it was all of these thoughts were running around inside me and never could be articulated to the outside world. Did your parents notice anything was going on with you that, you know, were, you sh there were, were there signs that they could pick up on, but things weren't right? I don't think that they ever had a clue about it. Um, you know, part of the, the thing, part of, part of my upbringing is my father was not home a lot, and the few times he would play a played ball with me. He never taught me how to play ball, but then he would say, you throw like a girl. And like parts of me, and I talk about it in the book, are saying, yes, and part of me saying, no. <laughs> I'm saying, you know, of course I throw like a girl. I am a girl. But it didn't feel right because to the outside world, no, I was a boy. And, you know, I had to learn how to play ball on myself. I had to do that. And it was, how would I ever be good enough for my father, you know, uh, while he's not paying all that much attention to me? 
Um, but there was nothing that I was doing that would give any indication to the outside world, to my parents, that there was anything going on with me. Did you understand what was going on with you as you started to mature? Did, did you start to connect the dots? No way. <laughs> I mean, the strange thing, and I tell this story over, and it's not an uncommon story within the trans community. Certainly growing up uh, in the 50s and getting to be a teenager in, in 1960 and growing up in the 60s, um, uh, when I hit puberty, I was attracted to girls. Okay, And it was the early days of Playboy magazine. And my mother was so excited that I'd go buy Playboy. She had nothing against it. She says, yes, look at pinups. That's great. Look at pinups. And I, I say that when I used to look at the Playmates, it was so confusing because I wanted the Playmate and I wanted to be the Playmate at the same time. So my sexual orientation was attracted to women. My hormones, puberty is okay. That's what I'm attracted to. Why do I feel like I'm not a man? Why do I feel like a woman? And that level of confusion kind of makes your head explode and can't share with anybody. At that time in the 60s, it's like, you know, um, well before the gay movement, the gay lesbian movement, and gay was queer. And it's really interesting now that queer is has a different meaning than it did back 50 years ago. And the kids today use queer as a name of power. And to me, it was a name of fear and separation. And one of the blogs that I wrote recently is that now when I talk to young people, to teens and to college kids, I can use their definitions, even though I get triggered on it. I'm learning to deal with the trigger and say that times have changed. So I can, I can learn how to do it uh, over time change, but it's taken me the last few years to kind of learn that the language and the usage has changed around the word queer. But back in the 60s, there was no way I could have somebody label me that. And I knew I wasn't attracted to men, so it didn't fit. But there was no language, there was no words to describe what I was feeling. So you're living with all these feelings, this confusion, mm. no one to talk to about it, and yet you keep on living your life in that male body. Mm -hmm. You get married, you have children, because mm -hmm. I heard your speech and at NSA at, at, about the support that your children have given you which was just so beautiful. So now take us to when you're in your 20s and your 30s and, and you've got this confusion and yet you get married. So like many other, I'm attracted to women and I didn't want to be alone and I got married. Okay, seemed like the right thing to do. And like many people, my I purged the suitcases full of women's clothes and saying, okay, I'm getting married, and it's done, and it's over. And I learned, like many people do, it's not over. It doesn't go away. If you are trans, transgender, um, it's something that is part of you. 
you know, there's a great saying that I, that I use. Uh, I didn't originate it, um, but people do not have a choice in being trans, being transgender. They do have a choice of what they do about it. What's beautiful is now in the mid-teens of 2010 to 2020, more people are understanding this is just how people are wired. And we see trans kids come out. We see parents supportive. We still see many people not understanding it and thinking it's a choice. It's not a choice. You're born this way. You're born this way. It's part of people, your DNA. People understand that about sexuality. They're just beginning to understand it's also about your gender identity. Uh, there are some studies now that are beginning to understand that your sexual orientation and your gender identity developed on the, during the third trimester in the womb. Your physical characteristics are determined in the first trimester. So what happens in the womb, third trimester, the different chemicals, hormones run through the brain development, and you are wired who you are. That's how you get to be. Now you drop into a culture that tells you you should be this. And for people that are supposed to be or should be one way, and yet their minds are saying, that doesn't fit. That's not right. Okay? It depends on the culture of whether they can say, wait, that's wrong, or I better not say anything. I better fit. Otherwise, they'll leave me. They'll abandon me. And that's that challenge that I talk about. Um, how do I be me? And be true to myself while I'm still in relationship with others. I, I need both. And that is such a dilemma that, that we as human beings have. I need to be unique. I need to be differentiated. And yet I need connection. I need to be touched. I need to belong to something. And, you know, for me, I hid. I didn't get the we's. I would not connect. I would not make friends because I was so afraid they would find out the secrets that were inside of me. Not that I would ever tell them, but that fear, which is a paradox, um, that I wouldn't make friends because I was afraid they'd find out and then I'd lose them. So it's, it's such a dilemma and it's such a, a whirlpool of going into things that you can never get your way out of. And the more people that I talk to that are trans, they go, subgroup, my story, yes, that sounds so familiar to me. Now, you went into engineering, which is like a considered very masculine type of field. It's not something that you saw many women in back, you know, 25, 30 years ago. How did you show up every day at work? You're working with these guys. You're in engineering. How, how did you maneuver that? Did you not display any feminine traits or, or um, anything that somebody would have picked up on or noticed? Or <laughs> <laughs> So the 70s were great because glam rock was out there. Uh -huh. <laughs> Bell-bottom pants, platform shoes, leisure right. suits. I saw, I made leisure suits and I went to work in leisure suits and, uh -huh. and platforms and let my hair grow. I love it. it Thought I was the oddball out of like all of these white shirt ties, crew cut engineers. I was the kid that was, he's pretty different, but 
he knows how to design computers, so it's okay, I think. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Brilliant. So who cares what he wears, right? <laughs> I, I, I'll show you some pictures sometime. Oh, I'd love to see them. And yeah. your personal and intimate relationship with your wife, there was... There, did she have inklings? Did she ask questions? Did she suspect, wonder? So my ex-wife never knew. I never told anybody. No, no one was ever, you know, knowledgeable about what I did and who I was. And that was that was part of the challenge for me. Um, I suppressed feelings. And by not really being true to myself, keeping my feelings inside, you know, one thing that I, I talk about is um, in, in the engineering world, and it expands to many other worlds, there's this concept called triple constraints, that there are things that sometimes you have choices of three things to do, and many of the places on triple constraints is you can do two, but not a third. And... In terms of, of feelings, I talk about the triple constraints about doing, being, and having. And I was very good at doing, and I was very good at having. I was not so good at being, of really understanding who I am, being able to speak for I feel. I, I'm trained as an engineer, so I can say I think. I'm very cognitive. Um, one, of, one of the jokes that I say, and it's kind of true, is I transition gender. That's easy compared to going from a type A engineering manager to a counselor. So a type A engineering manager, do it the way that I want you to do it. Make sure you get it done. It's going to be right or wrong. And a counselor is somebody that is not really telling people what to do, but really listening and reflecting. That's a bigger transition for me than even changing gender. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So how many children do you have? Is it two boys? I have two boys and a girl. They're all in their 30s. Uh, my boys are married. I have two grandchildren, um, a boy two and a half, and my granddaughter's five. Um, I've lost no one in my I, life. No, I know your children, you're, they're so close to you, and they understand completely that you needed to make this transition, that you needed to do this for your own happiness and the way that you tell that story. But they never saw anything, even as they grew up. They so you basically hid this, really, not like some of the other transgender people that I've, I've heard of recently, you know, there's been, a, you know, people in the news, that there were breadcrumbs on the trail. So people were like, well, I did see that behavior. I, I did see the clothing. There were, you know, little pieces along the way that they picked up on. But yeah. you really hid it. Continue. I really hid it. But one thing that's really important for both you and anyone listening to learn is there is no one single way to be transgender. There is no right way to be transgender. Everybody goes down their own unique path and their own unique story of how they do it. 
Some people feel that they can't live without it. Some people are so constrained that they will leave and transition when their kids are young. Some people do self-harm. They attempt suicide. They kill themselves. They will be angry. They will be hyper-masculine if they're male to female um, to hide it. Um, and, and remember that transgender and, and gender variance, which I, I prefer using gender variance, it's equal opportunity. It impacts all people, all cultures. It's been here throughout history. And it's not only male to female, it's female to male. And there are many people and young people now that are called gender fluid in that they are rejecting the notion of gender. They're not sure, and it's not a big deal for them. So the notion that gender is a binary construct that you're either male or female is is a is an approximation that is cultures assume but the reality of our human our humanity is that it doesn't fit in that simple binary box different experience for each individual Absolutely. i guess because i'm not as as versed in it I would have thought that somewhere along the line, when you're living your life and you're not living it authentically, mm -hmm. that you're going to display things that people are going to pick up on and go, oh, what was that? Or hmm, that was odd. Or, But no, you just kept it very contained, but suffered. You, you suffered inside because you knew you wanted to be somebody else. I suffered, but I contained it because I didn't want anyone to find it out. And it was always that balance of, you know, how do I deal with it and how do I hide it and, and what do I do? Um, you know, let me ask you a question that mm -hmm. said, engineers, let's talk about engineers and counselors for a second. Uh -huh. Give me a few what you think would be personality characteristics of an engineer. Oh, you described it. Very type A, rigid, excessively detailed oriented. Um, Arrogant. Oh, very. I used, I've sold houses to engineers. And when I, when I used to get an engineer, I'd cringe because I'd say, this is never going to work out. The house is never going to meet their expectations. They were so detailed. They were perfectionist and they expected perfection. And if it wasn't, they became arrogant. Obnoxious. Obnoxious. Really very hard to deal with. So. <laughs> so, and, and these are generalities. So there yes. are some engineers who don't follow that, but that's, that's a group of generalities. Right. Okay. Um, I was very good at that, at being arrogant and obnoxious and detailed and, and doing that. And in some sense, those were protectors that would say, stay away. You know, I would be dying for come close, but don't get too close. Mm -hmm. Come close, don't get too close. Because I couldn't let you in. So I was dying and the choice was I will not get close to people. I will not join things. Okay. Now for me, I'm a speaker, I'm an author, I'm effectively a public transsexual, transgender woman. Mm -hmm. um, 
you might say professional, right? So I'm out there. I can't hide. I'm choosing not to hide. There are some people that transition that want to continue to hide and not be seen as that. They just want to go on in their life and be who they are without talking about it. For me, my work is to be out there and let people see me, ask questions, and just as you're doing right now, hopefully learn something about me, but also learn there's no one way to be transgendered, just as the same way for you. There's no one way for you to be a woman. There's no one way for you to be a person. What liberated you, Grace? What was that turning point that you said, I'm ready to change? I think that I got divorced in 2001 after 25 years of marriage, and it still took me eight years, seven or eight years to come to terms that all these feelings in my head were, I was wired that way. It took, you know, from 2001 to 2007, 2008, as I'm learning more and more about the gay movement, the lesbian movement, and the idea that people are just wired that way to finally accept that me being trans was just my wiring. Mm -hmm. And then for me, the hardest decision for me on deciding to transition was my kids who are already adults, what if they rejected me and abandoned me? And that took me about a year to work through that said, you know, I'm in my 60s. My kids are all on their own. You know, I want to finish my life living true to myself. And if my kids decide that by me doing that and living true to myself, if they decide they don't want to be part of me, it would be really bad. It would suck. Um, but that would be their life's journey. And I had to move on on my journey. And I decided I would go forward. Um, one of the things that I now teach everybody um, is that if you're planning on transitioning, you need to be prepared to lose everything and everyone in your life. It may or may not happen, but you do need to be prepared for that. And if you prepare for that and still feel you have to live your truth, then you should move forward. Now, if you move forward and you do lose things, you're not a victim of circumstance. This is where you made the choice to be true and be authentic. And you can't control what other people do or what other people think. And as I kept learning that and as I kept moving forward, um, I, I kind of learned that this is actually things people don't articulate and know, and that's why it's gone into my writing, my teaching, my speaking. Um, I talk about, I ask the question, what's the one thing you control in your life? And the answer that I say, whatever people tell me, I say, I only accept one answer. And the answer is, the only thing you control in your life is what you choose to give to others. Okay. That's it. And I've heard the story, but I want the listeners to hear it from you. Mm -hmm. How supportive your children have been. How they have embraced grace fully. 
My kids are awesome. Um, did you have a question? Nope. I'm, I... my, my kids are awesome, and I love that my youngest son, I'm actually going to go visit him uh, next week. Up, uh, He's working in Lake Placid at a, at a boarding school. Um, and I love when he just, like, when we're out, he goes, Dad! Or my daughter goes, Dad, when I'm soup. And I say, yes, I'm their dad. And it's always a teaching moment uh, there. Um, I think I, I, my sense is that by being true to myself, um, it's really allowed my kids to say, I'm not really living the life that I really wanted to do. And it's okay for me to make decisions to live the life that I wanted to do. My youngest son was married. He had a house he was teaching in Tucson, and he realized that he felt that he was constrained and locked down and needed to be outdoors more. And he ended up finding a therapist, working it out with his wife, and they decided they could sell the house, they could move around, they can get into more outdoorsy stuff. His dream is to build a cabin and go off-grid in the woods somewhere, and he'll get there sometime. And he needs to be outdoors, running, skiing, you know, everything. My oldest son is a wedding photographer and a stay-at-home dad. And he feels comfortable now in any issues just talking to me. And it's really great when I, I watch the kids. My, my granddaughter's five now, and she's now beginning to ask him, who is your father? And there's a picture of me and the family on his fridge. And he says, you see that, 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 that's Grace, what Grace used to look like right now. Uh -huh. She's five years old. So it's okay. like, oh, okay, that's just the way it is. And kids are growing up that they know Grace. Uh, they already have two other grandmothers and I'm just Grace to them. Okay. And from my perspective, they can call me anything they want. I don't have an agenda. Um, there are some trans people that do want to be called mom or make up the name. My kids were already older, so it's like, you know, and they were on their own. They know me as dad. Yeah. My my youngest son said, even though you've had all this surgery, you've had all this facial surgery, you still come and I still see my dad. All you've done is changed all your blue North Face jackets to pink ones. So. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I love and, it. And that's the oh. way that I feel. It's like, you know, um, I'm the same. I'm different. I'm different in every moment. And, you know, but what I've learned is relationships are about caring and listening, which is more of a counselor piece, not the old dad that told my kids what they should do. I've learned the hard way that me telling them what to do wasn't really the best thing for them. And now just listening and and being able to make suggestions to them and leave choices for them without judgment. And that's taken me close to 70 years to learn. And I'm trying to pass that on now. Beautiful. What can you suggest to a family, to a young person that may hear this interview, and they're in the early stages of trying to figure this out. Um, Where do they go? Who do they talk to? I think one of the most important things for them to realize they're not alone. They're not the only ones with these feelings. There have been many people before them. 
Um, and they're also really lucky in that people can say the word transgender. Um, hopefully that even if people don't understand it, we can move people to acceptance before understanding. A few years ago, I thought my job was to get people to understand us so they can accept us. I've now flipped that 180 and I say, you know what? You need to accept people first. You may or may not learn to understand them, but acceptance is much more important than understanding. And that's what we all need in, in, in this world. So for kids just coming out, um, you know, there are gender therapists around. Um, you know, I work in some school systems where kids come to their guidance counselors and talk about it and say, don't tell my parents. It, it brings tears to my eyes. It brings pain in my heart that kids have come up to me and said, I have these feelings and I can't really direct them anywhere without parental support. When the kids get parental support, they flourish. And it's amazing. If kids don't get parental support, they get depressed. Um, they end up on drugs. They end up doing self-harm. Mm -hmm. um, I think parents need to learn that love means acceptance, whether or not it fits the model you hope for or you think society hopes for. I totally believe that the world is changing from the parents of transgender kids especially the mothers, the mother bears are the ones fighting for their kids and making the difference in the political system and the world right now. The middle-aged people like me, we have very little political power as we're trying to do it. But mothers and, and parents um, are the ones that are, that are doing it. I, I'm one of the co-leaders of a large trans conference that actually ended last week. And we have a youth and family program on the weekend. And I was so excited because uh, for Saturday, we had 76 people pre-registered for the Saturday sessions. And at lunch for that day on Saturday for the youth and family program only, we sat 150 people. We ran out of food. We had to get more food. We ran out of space. We did that. And then late Saturday afternoon, we had a trans kids pool party, which was awesome to see the kids meeting other kids and, and families learning and meeting each other to get support. And, and that's one of the reasons I do what I do in the community, because the word has to get out. It must be beautiful for you to see small children, young people, mm -hmm. now living happily. Absolutely. And their parents are supporting them. That's, that's the foundation of your work today, to see that happen. That's one of the things that I'm just in awe of seeing that they're running around and I'm so busy managing the floor, they don't even know who I am, but that is just marvelous to see that program growing now. Would you hold up your book for me? I would. Yeah, um, so because so, this is going to be a podcast and also a YouTube, so no, maybe, yes, Living My Truth by Grace Ann Stevens, available on Amazon. And Grace, if someone wants to reach out to you, would you share your website uh, address? So my website um, is www.liveyourtruth, but it's L-I-V-U-R 
T-R-U-T-H dot net. Wonderful. And there's a number of videos up there. There's uh, the programs that I can do. So I'm available. All my blogs are up there. If you want to read some of my blogs, there's another book, which is the blogs from uh, 2015. Um, but you can learn more about me. You can see some of the things I do in the community on that website. And they can Google you too to find you. So that's the other thing. Yes. I always find everything I want by Google. <laughs> You know, bless you. It's just such an honor to spend this time with you, but I'm just in awe of what you're doing to help others oh. because, it, as you said, it's confusing. Thank really you. confusing. And, and remember, the key is acceptance. Don't let the confusion get in your way. Be curious, but also sometimes people are afraid to ask questions because they're afraid that they may trigger someone. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I teach is ask your question. But if you ask me a question that I'd be uncomfortable with, mm -hmm. I could say, that's a great question. I'm really just not comfortable answering that right now. So if I don't get triggered by that and you don't get triggered by my response, we can still be in conversation and still learn more about each other. That's wonderful. Well, you know, you are absolutely living authentically. And that's what all my work is about and yeah. helping women to step up and not be afraid and step into their power and be who they're meant to be. And I love you for doing that. Thank you. And right back at you. So Great to see you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mel. Bless you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Awakening Divine Wildness. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give us is to share this podcast with a friend and please leave a favorable review at iTunes. Be sure to visit Maldwain.com for Mal's six-part video series, Heal Your Wounded Heart and Reclaim Your Worth.